you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. So if uh, I, you have not met me, my name is Philip. I am one of the elders here at this church, and it's my privilege to be uh, in front of you guys this morning and sharing a word. Uh, when I was about 16 years old, I was, I was in a really bad car accident. We actually got a picture up here of the car. Uh, uh, th- that was my car. Uh, and so uh, m- the car was old enough that there was no airbag. My face went directly into the steering wheel, and I broke my face in multiple places. <laughs> And one of the effects of the, the, this car accident was that I had lost several of my uh, teeth. Uh, several of my, you know, immediately after the, the accident, I had two teeth missing. Since then, I've lost another two teeth <laughs> um, indirectly, you know, just because of the trauma and they slowly die and whatever. And so I had multiple teeth missing and there was about a year period where I was going to, through different kinds of um, surgeries. You know, they're putting bone graft in and implants in or whatever. Where there was about a year where I did not have teeth. My two front teeth were missing, or two of my front teeth were missing, and they gave me uh, this, they call it a flipper. Uh, it's basically uh, just a retainer with a couple of teeth on it. So that way I can push my teeth in, I can pull my teeth out, and they can kind of come in and out, and I play with it all the time. It was really fun to mess with people. Um, but I was young, I loved going to the beach back back then, and I remember during the you know summertime, there was one day I went to the beach, I was in the water, and this wave comes and just smacks me in the face, and immediately I realize my teeth are missing. <laughs> and so I reach up there to grab, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're missing. And at first, I'm kind of semi-looking, uh, semi kind of just like, oh, where, where's my teeth, where's my teeth? But as I think about it, the more I start to think about it, um, I realize, uh, I am remembering this conversation that the dentist had with me. He said, um, you don't lose your teeth, right? Don't, don't, don't use this flipper, right? Not only is it expensive, but he says it's going to take, it takes up to about six weeks to get a new set, right? And so now I'm starting, as I'm in the water casually thinking, I'm starting to think about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go the rest of summer looking like this, <laughs> I'm going to be missing my teeth, right? And so it's, I get more panic. I start to look more desperately, and I'm scraping the bottom of the, the, the floor of the ocean. I'm, you know, every wave clashes. I'm looking to see if my tooth is, my tooth, are my teeth there, my teeth there. I'm looking with a panic, right? And I'm freaking out because I'm worried about not having teeth. Uh, I spent probably an hour in, in the water, and this picture was taken when I hit the, the darkest moment, when I hit my, the, the point of the most despair, when I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to have teeth. Um, we lose things all the time, right? Like we lose things all the times, um, but we don't always look so hard for them, right? Like we lose things all the time, um, but we don't always look really hard, right? I can't tell you how many times I've had like some change, some loose change in my pocket and I go and I sit down somewhere and maybe some pennies fall out. I might look for a couple of seconds for them. I don't look long. I don't look hard, right? Because it doesn't really matter to me, right? Um, But generally speaking, uh, the more we care about something, the more diligent we are going to look for it, right? And it's not some profound thought, um, but it's just, you know, the more something matters to us, the less likely we're going to give up on it. Uh, Today we're in Luke chapter 15, 
And we're going to be reading verses 8 through 10, just a couple of verses. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. If you're on the, the phone, you can, you can um, plug, in, plug in there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. And we are on week two of a three-part series on the lost parables of Jesus. And today we're looking at the parable of the lost coin. But before we go any further, would you guys just join me in a word of, of, of prayer so that um, I don't ever like to teach without, without going to God about it first in the moment of. So would you guys just join me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this, this space, this opportunity for each one of us to be a community, to be a church, that we might just direct our attention entirely to you. And Lord, I'd ask that you would just soften my heart, you would soften each one of our hearts, Lord, that we might hear your word through all of this. God, there are many things we might be worried about, there are many things we might be thinking about, Lord, but there's only one thing that matters. And Lord, I just ask that you would just interrupt any agenda that I have that is not from you, Lord. You would not let a word come out of my mouth that does not honor you. And God, that as, as I speak, Lord, people wouldn't hear anything from me, Lord, but they would hear the conviction that you have for them, that the Spirit would convict each one of us this morning in our own ways. The words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, as I, as I get older and I get a little bit more established as a, as a parent and as an adult, I am slowly realizing I am becoming more and more like my father. Uh, I'm going to be very careful how I talk about this because he, he, he is listening. Um, but growing up, uh, my dad was a notorious teaser. Still is a notorious teaser, but I mean like obnoxious teaser. Like I would say, Dad, I'm hungry. And he would say, Hi, hungry. I'm Randy. Right? And it's not funny. But now, uh, you know, I do this with my daughters, right? One of my daughters, you know, just earlier this week was like, Dad, I'm hungry. And I said, Hi, hungry. I'm Philip. And I was like, oh, no, it's happening. I am becoming my father. My, I said it to my wife last night. She did not think it was funny. But as a, as a kid, I remember, you know, working on different projects with my dad around the house. And he would say, hey, can you go grab me this tool, whatever it is, go into the, go into the garage and see if you can find this tool and grab it for me. Uh, and, you know, I would go in the garage. I'd go to the workbench, and I would look for, like, three seconds at the surface of it and then be like, can't find it. And I go back to my dad and tell him uh, I couldn't find it. It was, it was, it was, you know, I couldn't find it in there. And he could immediately tell I didn't look very hard, right? Like just dads can do that, right? They can tell like you didn't try very hard. And he'd always kind of this snarky comment response. He would say, "Well, were you looking with your eyes?" <laughs> and then he would go in and, of course, in like two seconds, open a drawer and find whatever he's looking for. He'd open a cabinet or whatever it is. And I do the same thing now to my kids, right? You know, one of, my, one of my daughters is notorious at procrastinating. And my wife said she is God's gift to me to, like, humble me because I'm such an efficient person. So I'd tell her, hey, can you go get your shoes on? And she'll, like, walk slowly and open the box where the shoes are and look for half a second and then come back and say, I can't find them. And I'd be like, are you looking with your eyes? Are you looking with your eyes, right? And it's a teasing comment. But now that I'm the one saying it, right, I'm like, oh, but there's some truth to it, isn't there, right? Like, I'm trying to tease a truth, a point of truth, right? And when my dad asked me to look for something, I didn't look hard. Why? Because, you know, let's be real. Deep down, I just didn't care. 
Because the faster I found a tool, the faster I go back to doing more work. Right? And that's not fun, right? In the same way, my, my daughter, right, she just loves to do other things. So, you know, the faster she goes and has to do something else, the less of the other things she wants to do. Right? And when my dad would say to me, are you looking with your eyes? What he's really saying, what he means is, are you actually trying? Are you actually looking? Are you indifferent about it? And I want this idea in our head is that what we value determines our diligence. What we value determines our diligence, right? When something is valuable to us, we are a lot more diligent to look for it. We look with our eyes when we care about it. And with that in mind, let's jump into the passage today. As I said, we're in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. So and here's the, the word of God. It says, Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is a joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Um, the parable, uh, you know, this particular parable has this really important word that, that I want us to focus in on today. And it's this word, uh, this word is diligence, that she seeks diligently. Uh, each one of these parables, even these three lost parables, right, there's a lot of similarities. Something's lost, something's unfound, and then there's this big celebration that comes from it. But each one of the parables kind of has a different emphasis it highlights a different quality of God's heart every time, right? And, and this particular one is highlighting this woman's search. This woman loses this coin, and so she lights up a lamp. She sweeps the entire house. She seeks diligently. What is diligence? The Greek word, because you might see in other translations, it might say she seeks carefully, or she has different words that, that might be translated. Diligence is a good word, right? The Greek word there is epimelos. It comes from the Greek word, the Greek root mele. And, and it's a concern, this worry of not doing something well, like a concern that's, that's born from a worry of not doing something well, right? There's this a carefulness, attentiveness there. And so this woman is searching carefully. It means that she's searching full of care, literally what careful means. It, it mattered to her. Right? She does not want to lose the coin. Right? Like a kid in the ocean, panicking, looking for his teeth. Right? I do not want to lose the teeth. Sometimes, maybe uh, most of the time, we need to learn diligence by seeing it. We see something done with diligence, and we're like, ah, that's, what it, that's, that's how we do it. That's how we do it, right? Uh, years ago, I, I was a young boy, back in elementary school age, middle school, uh, I, when I had all my teeth, um, my parents gave me this little handheld music player. Uh, I could, you know, listen to music. I loved music back then. I loved this little device. And I, and I used to climb uh, this hill right over here, Twin Peaks Mountain. I used to climb it all the time. And my parents just lived on the other side of it, and it was really easy to get a trail and hike this, hike this little hill, this little mountain. So I did it all the time. And there was this one time I hiked up there, and I had my music player, and I took it off, and I got to the very top. I was sitting on the, the peak of the mountain, huge boulders, and I was sitting up there, and I took it off, and I sat it down next to me. 
and I relaxed for a moment. And when I was done, I reached to go grab it, but instead of grabbing it, I accidentally knock it down. And this music player then falls into this massive crack in this massive boulder. And my heart sinks. And I totally feeling defeated. I'm like, oh my gosh, this gift that my parents just gave me, I just lost. I don't know how I'm going to tell this to him. So I, I climb down the mountain, I go to my dad, and I tell my, and I ask, I tell my dad, I break him the bad news, dad I, dad, I lost it. And he looks at me and he's like, did you try to find it? <laughs> And I was like, uh, it was a big crack in a big boulder. Like, I, there's no point, right? I can't find it. And he's like, well, did you look at the bottom of it? Did you look around to see maybe if it stumbled off to the right or the left? Like, how do you know it fell in there or it got stuck in there? Did you look? No. He says, gives me a flashlight and he says, go on up there and look. So I hike the mountain a second time. I get up there and I'm looking around at the flashlight, looking in the cracks. And then I'm looking from the very top, looking down with the flashlight. I can see a little shininess from where the plastic device was. I can see it. I just can't grab it. It's just beyond. It's far enough down that I can't grab it. So I hike back down there. I tell him, I see it, but I can't grab it. And he's like, okay. Goes to his garage, grabs this big, long rope. And it gives a hook and attaches it to it. And then he gives it to me and says, go get it. <laughs> so I hike back up the mountain. I'm up there and I got this rope. And I'm now like carefully lowering it into the crack, trying to carefully teeter it. I'm playing, I feel like I'm playing like some kind of a crazy carnival game down there, trying to pull this up. Cannot get it. Cannot maneuver around. It's just too awkward getting between the cracks. I go back down. I said, Dad, I tried. I tried to get it. Rope didn't work. It's lost. It's gone. And he doesn't say a word, thinks. Then he goes into the garage and he grabs this 10 foot PVC pipe. And then he grabs all these different fittings. And then he grabs this duct tape and he puts it all into a bag and hands me the pipe and says, Go get it. <laughs> so I hike the mountain now a fourth time. I got a rope around my shoulder, I got a flashlight in my pocket, I got a bag full of parts and a 10 foot PVC pipe, and I climb the mountain. And I get up there, and now I have this pole, and I'm trying to stab into the rock, trying to stab it like I'm right from a scene from Moby Dick trying to get the whale. No luck. Climb back down the, down the hill, and I tell my dad, I can't get it. It's lost. And it's like late afternoon now, and my feet are exhausted. And my dad thinks for a moment, and then he goes and he gets his shoes on. He's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> so I climb it for a fifth time with my dad, um, Tragically, we didn't get it, right? The story would be so much cooler if we got the device and we found it, we did it. Um, I'm sure that plastic has rotted away, but the lesson I learned that day did not. Diligence. It is determination. It is persistent. It is careful. It is a resilient pursuit to do something well. It is born from a care to do something well. When you diligently look for something, you don't give up easily. You try different things. You experiment. You work at it. You struggle. You're thoughtful. Your, your mind is engaged trying to figure out, how do I solve this? Now pause and recognize for a moment, what is the point of this parable? This parable tells us, it shows us a glimpse of God, God's heart. God is diligent to find the lost. He is active. He is persistent. He looks with passion and determination. He does not give up. He does not relent. 
He is careful, very, very careful, because he does not want to lose the lost. And his diligent pursuit shows us God's heart yearns for those who are lost. His heart beats for those who are lost. But take a tiny detour for a moment and expand a little bit and maybe give a different perspective or think a little bit differently about what, who are the lost. When we say lost, what are we talking about? Uh, simply put, something is someone is spiritually lost when their hope is in the wrong thing, when their hope is in the wrong place, when it's not in Jesus, if your hope is not in Jesus, right? If you don't know Jesus, you reject Jesus, you don't care about what he has to say, whatever it is, at this point, you're, you're, you are outside of his grace. That is spiritually lost. But let's break that down, right? And so really important to understand, um, sometimes in life, what you put your hope in matters, Sometimes it really, really matters. I'm a big fantasy nerd, so I really appreciate C.S. Lewis. One of the things he, he, he discusses is that, that fantasies are often, um, they are echoes of reality. They kind of give us little pictures of what real life is like in a, in a fun and engaging way. So, so you think about this through some famous stories. So like the Lord of the Rings, for instance, right? Now, I love Lord of the Rings. Anytime I can talk about Lord of the Rings, I will. Uh, Gandalf and Elrond and this wise council all gathers together. And once they have, they realize they have this great evil ring. They're trying to decide what to do with it. And what they do is they put their hope in a hobbit, which if you know the story at all, right? A hobbit, um, this is the most insignificant species on Middle Earth and in the world there. And they put their hope in this hobbit, Frodo, to go and destroy the ring. And they send him on this great epic journey. If they put their hope in the wrong thing, the entire world would have fallen to evil. Everything would have been done. And then Star Wars, when the Rebel Alliance sends a bunch of starfighters to go destroy the great big Death Star, they put their hope there. And if they were wrong, right? if they were wrong, the Empire would have won, the Rebellion would have been crushed, and the entire galaxy would have been cast under a deep, dark shadow for years to come, right? Hope matters, and sometimes it matters a lot. Right, when what we put our hope in, when we're thinking about the purpose and the meaning of our life and everything else, what we put our hope in really matters because it changes the course of everything else we do. It changes the entire direction of our life. Now, ultimately, our worldview is determined, or our worldview, sorry, determines our hope. Right? Our worldview is like the lens to how we see life. It's how we think about life. It's how we, how we kind of view what, what's the purpose of people and life and everything. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the lens to how we see life, right? Uh, and now scholars and thinkers have, have kind of noted that, that our worldview is really determined by these four questions. we got these four questions on the screen. I'm just going to walk through them real quick. These four questions are what determine our worldview. Question one is about our origins. Uh, where do we come from? Is there a creator or is there not? Um, is the universe just this endless series of cause and effect and cause and effect? Is it just this eternal sequence of chicken and eggs and chicken and eggs and chicken and eggs and there's no first chicken or no first egg, right? Um, is, there, is there just this, this crazy chain like that or is there a creator? Is there a God? Is there a designer, an author? Question two 
It's about our purpose. Why are we here? If there is a God or not or whatever, it has an enormous implication about whether or not we are here for a reason. And if there's no God, there is no objective purpose. Now, people might say things like, well, I make my own purpose. I hear it all the time. Right? But that would be like me. I had in my keys. There is a key on my keychain that I don't use very often. I use that key to open Amazon packages. That would be like me saying, that key is to open Amazon packages. No. I might make up my own purpose for it, but it's not the objective purpose of why that key exists. That unlocks something. It's there for a reason, right? There is no God. There's no objective purpose. If there is a God, you are alive for a reason. You're here for a reason. There is a reason why you're here. Question number three is about our morality, right? How should we live? Once again, these last two questions fuel this third question. Right? Given our origin and our purpose, um, is there a right and wrong way to live? Is there a good and a bad? Is there something as good and evil? Without God, there is no such thing as good and evil. There's no right or wrong way to live. It's just chaos. You can do whatever you want and get away with it. Right? There's, there's no purpose. Right? Um, yet, if God exists, there is a right way to live. There's a wrong way to live. There's right things to, there are right choices and wrong choices. There really, really is. And the last question is about our destiny. Where are we going? Does death have the final say? Or, or, or is there more? Is there a life after death? Is there more to all of this? Now, um, someone is lost. One way to think about all this is that someone is lost when, when they don't have the right answer to these questions. These questions are what guide and determine us. They're, they're the questions are the things that, that uh, point us uh, uh, to put our hopes in the right things. And if you have the wrong answer, or maybe you just don't even care about these questions. So C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters, he, he talks about this idea. This is the book, Screwtape Letters, about this older uncle demon who's teaching his nephew how to misguide and corrupt the human patient that this nephew has. And one of the things that the uncle demon, Screwtape, says, he says, whatever you do, don't let him think about grander things like this. Keep his mind fixed on the mundane. Keep his mind fixed about his job or about the day-to-day -day things that are going on in his life. Because the moment they start thinking about this kind of stuff, they start asking bigger and more important questions. And that's dangerous for a demon. Right? So sometimes we just are ignoring these questions. We're so caught up in the mundane, we're not even thinking about them. Or sometimes we just answer them wrong. Whatever it is. Right? Someone is lost because um, their view of the world is a little misdirected, is a little inaccurate. And so they put their hope in the wrong thing. That might seem really harsh. Right? It might seem kind of brutal to say that, but I would say this. It is to the advantage of people who are lost that we think about it that bluntly. Um, if, you, if your belief about God, and this is why, right? If your belief about God or why you exist, or, or morality, or belief about eternity, if one of those beliefs, if one of, the, if one of your answers to these questions is wrong, or is not accurately aligned, you're going to spend your entire life succeeding at the wrong things. You're going to spend your entire life living not accurately according to your purpose. Living in a way that isn't the right way to live. Heading to a destiny you don't want to go to. Everything you try to do is going to end in vanity. Ultimately, will end in vanity.
Uh, if I'm in my car and I have my phone's GPS, right, the information that that phone has and what it's giving to me is critical for it to be useful. It's critical for it to get me to the right place, right? Uh, maybe something mechanically in, in the phone is wrong and the GPS is broken and the GPS thinks, like, I'm 50 miles west from where I really am. Is it going to get me to where I want to go? No, right? Because it's, it's got the wrong idea of where I am, right? Um, if I input the wrong address, if I say Disney World instead of Disneyland, I'm going to be, I'm going, to be going the wrong direction, and I'm not going to end where I want to go. Um, if the map software is just outdated, which, like, granted, that doesn't really happen very easily nowadays. Um, but if you remember, like, 15 years ago, those little TomToms, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, those little TomToms, like, before the phones. You would have to update that little TomToms uh, software so that the addresses stay accurate or that the, the maps stay accurate, right? Now, ultimately, if something's off in that wrong address, GPS broken, whatever it is, I'm not going to get to where I ultimately want to go. And that means I might be driving 100 miles an hour in the sweetest ride ever, seeing some incredibly beautiful scenery, heading the wrong way. Heading the wrong way. That, by very definition, is lost. It is lost, right? Um, if you're familiar with uh, Plato, a very ancient writer, uh, but you, you know you might have heard of the allegory of the cave, right? Plato is probably one of the most influential writers in human history, and this is often like the one thing people know about him. Uh, but he, he told this very famous, uh, you know, allegory, this famous story of the, it's called the allegory of the cave. And I got this picture because it's such a weird and confusing story or picture that it's easier to see it, right? But he, what he basically says is, imagine this. Imagine you have a bunch of people that like this over here that they're chained up and for their entire lives, they have been chained up and their heads are fixed and all they can see is the back of a cave. And they've been stuck staring at the back of that cave for their entire life. That is the only thing they've ever seen in their life. And yet there's this other group of people over here behind them that, that you know, is using the, the fire behind them and they've got these weird tools or things like that to put these, you know, these shadows on the wall for them. So these people stuck in the cave looking at the wall, they see these shadows of things bouncing around, and this becomes what they think life is. This is their perception of reality, right? This is all they see, right? And if all they have known and all they've ever seen were just shadows on the wall, they would only have a fragment of truth. They would only see life through a fragment of truth, right? Uh, these shadows are just fragments of truth. Their whole world view of life would be broken, distorted, lost. So one of Plato's points is this. He says if people's perceptions of the world is based on a distorted or an incorrect truth, their entire reality, their opinion of reality, is wrong. They're lost. And eventually some people get out of the cave and they realize, whoa, this is life. This is it. And it's the obligation of these people to help the other ones get out. That is, that's part of the point of the allegory, right? Um, if someone's view of life is wrong, they're going to be heading 100 miles an hour the wrong direction. That means, in the end, they will ultimately be frustrated, discouraged, broken. There will be a sense of helplessness. 
it won't matter at the success that they think they've had. Right? You might look at people in life, and sometimes we think the lost are just these people who are obviously sinners and broken, and we just, the obvious people that are just living in unhappy lives. That is not what Jesus is getting at. Oftentimes, the lost don't even know they're lost. Regularly, they don't. And actually, I think when you think about the purpose of the parable, it's kind of half Jesus' intention. It's the people who don't think they're lost that are actually lost. Because they're succeeding at all these things. They're just the wrong things. Um, it won't matter what success they think they have because it will, it will be succeeding at the things that don't ultimately matter. And my point of all this is talk about worldviews and what the definition of loss is and all this is just this. Our perception of the lost should not be critical. It should not be combative or hostile or judgmental. It should not be at this place that we are looking up and looking down at you. And look how wrong you are, how messed up your life is, or whatever it is. Our heart should, our perception should be more like that of the fathers who is empathetic, who is concerned, who's like, man, you're heading 100 miles in the wrong direction. How do I tell you to stop? How do I tell you to turn around? How do I get you to think and realize that you've got the wrong address? You're going to, you're going to Florida, not Anaheim. Some people don't believe in God because they can't imagine a father being loving. Because for the last 30 years of their life, the only image of a father they have had sucked. And so their whole life they've experienced this broken relationship, and now you're saying, oh, our heavenly father. And they think, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, some people don't believe in Jesus because the church ultimately, at some place in their history, hurt them. Or somebody who was saying they're a Christian hurt them. And so now they think, do I want anything to do with Jesus? The people closest to them are these Christians and they've hurt me. If I want to, there's going to be an emotional reaction to stay away from the church and from Jesus because those people have hurt me. Right? And so this worldview is broken, right? Some people don't care about the teachings of Jesus because they don't, frankly, just don't like church. It's boring for them, right? It's whatever, right? Because then maybe they come in here and they sit down here and they look around the room and they're thinking, these people aren't like me. These people are nothing like me. Clearly have a different type of job or a different kind of income or a different kind of whatever. And they think, oh, that's, that's it, right? I actually go back to C.S. Lewis, you know, quote from Screwtape Letters, another thing he points out and he says, oh, if, you're, if your patient goes to a church, get him to think about all the people in the congregation. Just have him look around. Notice how off-pitch this one person is singing, how too loud this other person is breathing. Get him to think about their shoes or whatever. Because as long as he's thinking about all the other people in the room, he has no idea what's really going on. You get him thinking about the wrong things, right? Um, if someone's worldview is just a little off, just a little off, it is going to change the entire course of their life. That's lost. What this parable says, and yet what this parable says is something very simple and sweet. God is diligent in his pursuit. He is diligent. He is passionately cares about the loss. He, he diligently seeks to redirect them. You're going the wrong way. Check your address. Please redirect that course because he deeply cares. And all I can say is I, I thank God he does. Thank God he did for me and for us. 
I'm so grateful in the seasons of my life when I was thinking about all these questions on the screen. To me, it was a big intellectual problem. I was very intellectually challenged with Christianity and some of the facts that it had claimed about itself. And I am so thankful that God was diligent to work in my heart, to put the right ideas in me, to put the right people in front of me, to work through that so that I can have a real hope. I can hope in the right thing. I put my hope in the right thing, redirecting the course of my life. But like all parables, there is usually more than one point. Most parables, as you read it and you think about it and you kind of keep pulling pieces out of it, you kind of realize there's, there's a lot of points to this. Uh, these parables, all three of these parables, these lost parables, are not just here to inform us about the heart of God so that we go, yay, God loves us. It's not just that. It's very important. It's also meant to challenge us. It's meant to inspire us, to convict us, right? If you've been in the life of the church for any amount of time, you, you're probably familiar about the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission is that the God of the universe... And I emphasize that because I want us to understand the magnitude of this. The God of the universe has given us a mission. And he says, this is the great one. This is the big one. Go, continue the work of Jesus. Seek and find the lost. Make disciples of all nations. And yet, sadly, I think we are way too apathetic in this pursuit. We give up way too easily. Right, and this is what I'm saying. This is from my experience of things that I personally have experienced for myself and also what I have observed is that simple challenges stop us. Simple challenges stop us way too easily. Little challenges stop us way, way, way too easy. Maybe we know people who are lost and we think, we realize, oh, that person really doesn't like church or that person's just really stubborn and then, I'm not going to bother talking to that guy. He's just a jerk. Right? Or maybe we have no idea how to. Maybe we think, man, I've never been trained. I've never learned how to evangelize. Right? I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I know it's important, but I don't know how. Or maybe we don't know anyone who's lost. We might look around our life and think, well, I, everyone I know is Christians and in the church. These are just my friend's circle. Right? These are the people I know. I cannot help but to think that we're like a child coming to our dad and being like, dad, I looked, I can't find it. And I wonder if someone humorously God would respond to us today, are you looking with your eyes? Are we looking with our eyes? Do you really care? Are you really looking? Are you really trying? Are you opening drawers up and cabinets and searching everywhere for it? Have you lit the lamp and swept the house yet? Have you been diligent? I wonder if God would ask us that today. Diligence. It's determination. It is persistent. It is careful. It is a resilient pursuit to do something well. It is born from a care to do something well. When you diligently look for something, you don't give up easily. You try different things. You experiment. You work at it. You struggle. You are thoughtful about it. Diligence is when we don't just look with our eyes, but we look with our heart and our head as well. Diligence is when you climb a mountain five times, going up with different tools and different strategies to try to dig up something that is lost. 
It's diligence. Here's a somewhat humorous way I want us to, to engage with this. Imagine you were to give yourself a job evaluation of your performance for seeking the lost. Now, I'm just going to be super clear. This is not how God operates. <laughs> he's not going to give us a job performance and he's going to grade us on a piece of paper or whatever and give us a job performance, right? But I would just say, for the sake of challenging our hearts, bear with me. Have a little fun. In a typical evaluation, you know, you're kind of graded on it. You may be a scale. Or there might be some words you would use to describe your performance, right? So look at these words here. These are like a five-point evaluation, right? One to five, you know, one being really great and five being you did not do a very good job. Where, how would, if you think about the last year, where would you put yourself here in your aptitude, in your ability, in your, in your, uh, your performance to seek the lost, to follow, to live out the Great Commission? Where would you put yourself? Would you put yourself at number one, saying excellent? Or would you be like, man, I think I've done a poor job? Um, now, if you aren't in one of these two, often what the job evaluator is going to say, why? Why? Why are you down here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why aren't you? Why aren't you doing an excellent job at the, at the, at the, at the mission, at the job that the God of the universe, my emphasis added, has entrusted you to do? Why are you not doing an excellent job? we are going to have different answers and explanations why. And so I have my own little parable for us. Think about the typical explanations we kind of go around. Think about what are some of the reasons some of us might say about why we're doing a poor job or why we might need improvement. Why would we, what would be some of those explanations? As many of you guys know, I, you know, I, I manage a restaurant, right? Um, I wanted you to imagine that we take these explanations we would give to why we're not, we're not doing a good job at seeking the lost, and let's say, let's make it an analogy. Let's make it a comparable explanation for a job that happens at my restaurant. If there is an employee giving an explanation for that, right? So imagine that you are a manager at my restaurant and I've entrusted you with a job to do these evaluations with people. And you're now, you're now speaking with an employee and you're noticing that the, you know, the part of their job description is to slice tomatoes every day. And you look and you realize you have not sliced tomatoes for six months. You're going to ask them why. Why haven't you sliced tomatoes for six months? Right? Well, maybe they tell you, why? I don't know how. I've never been taught. I've never been shown how to slice tomatoes, so I've never done it. I don't know how to slice tomatoes. Or, or maybe they tell you, I don't know where the tomatoes are. What would you ask? Right? What, what would you say to them? Right? Would you be thinking, are you looking with your eyes? Have you gone to where the tomatoes are likely going to be? Have you gone to the walk-in fridge? Or do you think they're just going to magically appear in front of you? Right? Um, what if they told you why well, you didn't have enough time? I'm a busy person. i got a lot to do in my day. Would you say, well, what would you think? Would you say, well, are you prioritizing things the right way? It's a part of your job description, right? Are you doing things? Are you, do you have a good schedule for yourself that enables you to do all the things that you need to do? Or maybe they just tell you, well, I tried once and it was hard, so I stopped doing it. Or maybe they said, well, I just don't like it. It's not, it's not fun to do. Or maybe they said, you know, I was using the tomato slicer, it just felt awkward and weird, 
so I don't do it. Maybe they tell you, it's not my gift. <laughs> now, these might seem like some goofy explanations. But what would you be thinking as somebody doing a performance evaluation? I'll tell you exactly what I would think. You don't care about your job. At least not enough. At least not enough, right? Um, if, if, if they valued their job, they would make it a priority to figure it out, to learn the things they need to learn, to do the things, to look for the tomatoes. If there's no tomatoes, they're going to turn the whole building upside down until they find any. And if they can't, they're going to go tell somebody, where do I go to get tomatoes? I don't know how to slice this. Can somebody show me how to slice this? They're going to go to the books that teach them how to slice it. If they value the job, they're going to be diligent to do it well. My goal in this little parable that I've made up is to challenge our hearts a little. One of the main points, and, and perhaps the most important point in this parable, is to show us God's heart. It's to show you this is the heart of God. And I think one reason God says, look at my heart and what it beats for is that we might share and have that burden with him. Um, we should care about those things that are deeply important to God, right? Amen? Care enough to make it a priority, to figure it out, to try, to experiment, to be diligent with the mission that God has given us. And to be super clear, when I talk about being diligent, I'm talking about building relationships with people who are lost, sowing seeds and tilling hearts over and over again, showing people the love of Jesus in action, loving the way he loved, serving the way he served, and in times intentionally taking or intentionally talking about those things, those worldview issues, integrating what is your hope in Jesus, your hope in heaven, your purpose in life talking about what you believe, how that shapes your parenting or how that shapes your work ethic or whatever it is, slowly looping that in, getting people to think about their worldview. To be very clear, this isn't something that happens in an hour and it's not something that happens even in a week. This, think years. Think years. Imagine... If you just were laser-focused on tilling the heart and throwing seeds with one person in your life, just one, if you were laser-focused on one person for five years, it's a long time, you're laser-focused on that, right? The fact is the majority of people will not change, at least not change quickly, right? Think about the parable of the sower for a moment. A totally different parable. I'm not even going to read it. But if you remember in this story, Jesus talks about there being how many, how many, how many types of soil? Four. How many of them produces a yield? One. He's saying you're sowing seeds, and you're you know you're sowing seeds, and you're sowing seeds. Three of them are going to get caught up by the concerns of the world or the devil or whatever. One of them is going to create a yield. It's going to produce a harvest. That is 25% of the soil. Only 25% of the soil is going to be fruitful. Now let's make this a little math game. Every five years, if we are diligently tilling the soil and tossing seeds, um, 15 years, 
In 15 years and 20 years, you will not have a yield. Three people will not change. They will encounter the gospel, but they will reject it. But you will win one. You will win one person. If everyone in Jesus' church was doing that, and if every Christian was engaged in that vision, the church on earth would double every 20 years. It would double every 20 years. Like That is record-breaking growth. In the first and second century, we, we often look at that as the fastest growing season of the church's life. We talk about how like that was such an anomaly. It's an anomaly to scholars, religious or not, how fast the American church, or sorry, how fast Jesus' church grew in the first and second century. It was super fast. You know how fast it was going? Almost doubling every 20 years. That was when the church was diligently searching. My point is, this is not an unrealistic goal. While we aren't in control of every church and we're not in control of every Christian, we are responsible and in control of ourselves. Choose to be diligent. Choose to be diligent. My hope is this. Today, we would be challenged to align our hearts closer to our Father who values the lost. That we would, we would stop and evaluate, man, do I care about the right things? Do I care enough about God's commission to me. I hope you're challenged by that this morning. And my prayer is that God would soften our hearts, that he would break our hearts, that he would move us and show us to have empathy and love to those who are far from him. Be diligent. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today, Lord, and I just pray, God, if anything I said did not honor you, Lord, that that would just be quickly forgotten, Lord, but instead the words that would resonate on our hearts would be of your love, would be of your mission, that, God, your spirit would fill whatever gap, that you would do what only you can do, God, and move our hearts and shape us in a way that honors you. Now, there might be many things we're going to be worried about this week. Many things that we will be distracted by this week, Lord. Help us to care about the one thing that matters most. The one thing that really matters. Challenge us this week, Lord. Be with us this week. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.